0: Sam Rjowski here, Sam Nation on Talk Radio AM 840 KXNT. Uh, what a week. I'll get to I'll get to everything that I can uh this hour. I, I just I want to say something here. A general thought and observation about where we are right now as a country. And I'm gonna talk about <sighs> Well, I'm going to talk it's it, it's COVID related. And it is it is just the most it's the most bizarre thing, as I have thought about how people talk about what's going on currently uh, in our country. I, I can think of no other fight, right? We, COVID is a fight. We've got to beat this virus. We've got to reopen our businesses. We've got to get our kids back to school. And our country, our society, civilization as we know it, has had many consequential fights in its millennia of history. I think back to the fight of my grandparents' and great-grandparents' lives, World War I and World War II. I've read a lot about that era and the contrast, the striking difference between what, how we're reacting, how we're dealing with, how we're talking about COVID today, and our current crisis, compared to the one uh, from from the past, uh, like for example World War II, uh, it's just the the difference is striking, and and this is the key difference. Because during World War II, at no point did we or the British say, my goodness, boy, those Germans, I mean, they've got some really great airplanes. And at no point did we sit around and speculate in newspapers about how many millions of people could die in the conflict. We didn't plan an invasion of Europe with the mainstream media bleeding on and on about all the loss of life that I think was self-evident to anyone uh, who was rationally analyzing the costs of liberating the continent. We didn't do that. We talked America up. We faced our enemy with a certain amount of dignity and of positivity. (laughs) <laughs> I know I didn't pronounce that right, but you know what I mean. It's called optimism. And optimism is the most essential human ingredient that gets you through dark times. And the reason, my friends, is so many of us right now are feeling down, are feeling blue, are feeling isolated, are feeling like this fight that we're in is 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 so miserable is because we're not looking at the glass as half full. We open, you know, we open a, a, a web browser window and we put in a, uh, we put in any news site, pretty much. And the first thing you hear is all the bad things. I have a friend who I don't think he works, actually. I, I don't know what he does. I, <laughs> But I know he doesn't work. He's at home 24-7 on the Internet. And all this man does is send me, because he, I don't know, we, we disagree on this just uh, from time to time. He sends me these links. And it's, he, all he does is send me bad news. He is obsessed with bad news. There's so much of this virus that is not settled science. We don't know, for example, what role kids play in transmission. But we know for a fact that kids, they're not the ones that are dropping dead from this thing. We know that compared to a regular garden variety flu, the coronavirus is not striking down children. And yet my daughters this week started school and are doing it virtually, are sitting at the dining room table on laptops, on screens. Literally, my wife and I as parents have done everything to try to limit the amount of time our kids spend on a screen. You know this. You as a parent, you understand if you've got kids, you know, it's the single greatest struggle that you face uh, in 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 modern in modern times parenting and yet presto at the turn of a turn of events here we are keeping the least susceptible healthiest members of our society home away from their friends away from important developmental socially important opportunities putting them in front of laptops tablets tvs keeping them indoors, in many cases, off of playgrounds. And it's all because what? Oh, if Junior catches this thing, grandmas might die. And I am, I am just, I'm apoplectic over this, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm observing how people are relishing in spreading the bad news, in spreading the worst-case possible scenarios. I think there's the other extreme, of course, people who think that this is nothing and you can go about not doing uh, or taking any precautions. My parents who are in their 70s, they are taking different precautions than someone in their 20s should. It's just a fact of life. If you're susceptible, you need to take cover and protect yourself. But this that we are living with this virus and we need to be able to live as a people and the the mental health toll that this is taking this forced isolation, this extreme reaction that we are having to this. And I think, frankly, in many cases, m- motivated politically uh, to create an absolute hellscape. Leading into this election, it's just, it's not who we are as Americans. It is not where we want to be as a country. We are a country founded, built, dreamed of through optimism. We are a nation of can-do, not can't. And I think right now this, this, whole, uh, this whole reaction to it and the media feeding and fanning the flames of worst case scenario of death, doom, gloom, cherry picking data. You can go through example after example where the data is literally being manipulated and exaggerated to create crisis. And I do. I'm. I'm. I'm just so. I grieve for my kids. I grieve for your kids. I grieve for. I I, I grieve for so many among us that feel isolated, that are sad, that are actually suffering far more from the overreaction that our government has taken, that many of our governors across this country have have. Have just taken a, a, positions that are, I, I I think in many cases, totally unnecessary. But I also just don't. I I I I think that you have. You, we've got an enemy. We are facing a challenge, and our tenor about this ought to be a lot more positive. Okay, I. Oh, I'll talk more about this when we come back. I hope your kids are all surviving this. This virtual education thing. I'm gonna and I'm gonna get I'm gonna get to Bannon. I know he got arrested this week. What a story. Oh my gosh. Sam Rajovsky, Sam Nation here on News Talk AM eight forty KXNT. And I'll be back right after this. You got hurt in an accident. Now, you need the right lawyer to help you.
1: Don't hire a do-nothing, no-call, no-show lawyer.
0: We are Sam & Ash, and we are different.
1: We've recovered over $400 million for our clients, and we promise to always call you back the same day.
0: While no one can guarantee an outcome in your case, we have the experience to get you the results that you deserve.
1: So call us at 702-820-1234.
0: Or visit samandash.com.
1: Because you deserve what's right. What's right?
0: Sam Rojovsky, Sam Nation, here on News Talk AM 840, KXNT. Happy Sunday. Hope you're enjoying yourselves. Uh, glad to have you here on the program uh, with us today. Uh, one, I'll say one other thing about people, uh, certain people, really being very pessimistic about the virus and being very afraid about it. I, I think... There is a, a portion of people that are actually believe it or not doing better with with what's going on than they were before. They love working from home, the lucky ones right that have a job they there's some people that just love it and they're they're enjoying it uh and they're they don't want things to reopen because they don't want to head back to work and they they don't want their commute back and I, I have a number of friends. In California, who in particular, I know, I can, I can speak for this. They have long commutes. They, Yeah, I mean, hour and a half each way, I, I, I know one guy. So these are people who do not, under any condition, want to go back to work. Then, there's, then you've got to understand, for a period of time, with the double dip in unemployment, with the federal unemployment and state unemployment, there are people that were making $1,000 a week that previously in their jobs were making 300 400 dollars So they were making at least double with unemployment as they were working previously in their jobs. So what do you think those people are going to be saying on Twitter? (laughs) Back to work? Reopen my bar that I used to work at? (laughs) Reopen my factory? No. It's a... It, 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 if you create a scheme by which people have a, a getting more money for not working you are you are going to change the national conversation about what we need to do as a country right because if if you're polling only a group of small business owners who for the most part are absolutely getting hosed by this then uh, you're going to get a very different response than if than if you know you're you're dealing with wage earners who are are the lucky ones to get unemployment. Of course, here in Nevada, the the most embarrassing and terrible thing is that we are we can't even get our our, our unemployment system to work properly uh, because, of course, it's never been tested the way it has, and the people running it are are political hacks. And so, as a consequence. It's been terrible here because there's people who've actually gotten their federal checks before their state checks, and that is not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> state government is, in theory, at least, supposed to work a little bit better uh, than the federal government. So uh, it's been been tragic out here. I, I'll tell you personally, I'll, I'll share something a little bit personal here, uh, and I'm not going to get into details, but I, for me personally, uh, uh, there have been economic opportunities uh for me on uh, as a businessman that that have that i i've done okay during this pandemic and and but i am i am i am looking at this i i know business owners tavern owners restaurant owners i know people with factories i know people who are in the hotel business airlines i i there is so much destruction that has been wrought on us by, by by frankly, you know, and s- s- silly metrics that these governments are using. Governor Syselak just uh, yesterday. Uh, no, what was it? Thursday night, he came out and uh, and said bars we need to close another two weeks. You know, because the magic math isn't uh, isn't working out. And and I'm just letting you know as a business owner, <laughs> you've got you have to understand you can't just you can't deal in another two in another two weeks, another two weeks, another two weeks. You need. You need to plan because going into this meeting, everybody was saying, oh, well, if Sisolak's going to reopen the bars Thursday and bars are going to reopen magically Thursday, midnight, you know, midnight Friday morning. And I just, I listen to people, you know, smart people in the media, supposedly they have never run a business <laughs> because they think that after being closed for a month, six weeks, whatever, magically, King Sisalak tells you you can reopen your, your company and you're going to reopen it two hours later. You're going to stock your bar. You're going to get everything ready. You're going to call people in to work shifts. It, it doesn't work that way. But this is magic thinking in government. And, um, and you know, people, uh, most people that are in government have never succeeded at anything in the real world. And they are literally the worst people to make policies that stimulate the economy. And that, by the way, nothing was more apparent to me watching the democratic uh, convention that was conducted out of the bunker somewhere near Joe Biden's house. Uh, The, the, the democratic Party. I I mean, these are people that uh, live in fantasy land. And the dangerous thing is as any of us operating businesses and, and uh, and looking to to hire and grow our businesses recognize that this is a this is a bunch of people that no matter how much they moderate now the first thing they will do they will up they will care more about a squirrel living in the Colorado forest than they do about your business the spotted owl <laughs> will matter to them more than your livelihood. Kissing every dictator's A-money money money is going to be a bigger priority than protecting American interests. I look back the last four years and boy do I wish Trump could just shut the hell up. Do I think he's thin-skinned? Yes. Do I think that he has... A number of very unflattering qualities, absolutely. This is the first time that a president has gone four years without embroiling us in some major conflict. In my lifetime. I'm serious. He, name me the last president, maybe not four, but in, in a presidential term. I was born 1980. Let's go. Go through them all. Republican, Democrat. This is the first time we haven't gotten into a war. And yet we are consequential. We have got Iran by the nuts. The idea of turning over the State Department to Joe Biden is enough to make me want to cry. (laughs) I just can't imagine it. The guy who with Obama sent a jet full of cash to the mullahs in Iran and said, yo, guys, uh, hey, here we come with peace. They laugh at us. Iran, Russia, China—they are all rooting for a Biden victory. And elections—I I, got to tell you, elections are never fun, and it's—it's it's never about choosing the best, most wonderful human being. Uh, but I—I'm—I'm I'm telling you that the choice still for me re- remains clear, uh, and if, and and certainly in some ways holding my nose. And speaking of holding my nose, so I. <laughs> and speaking of Russia, I got it. I got it. We got to get into this uh, this this um, I- indictment here and arrest of uh, of Bannon, Steve Bannon. Now, you, first of all, I'm, let me just set it up first. And some of you, of course, will remember Steve Bannon as the guy who for about 90 days uh, came in at the very end of Trump's campaign and saved it. Trump's campaign in the end of 2016 and, well, around this time, it was just, I mean, it was on fire. And it was on fire because Paul Manafort, who had as of yet not been indicted, <laughs> was, was a lump. Manafort was a Republican Party inside guy lump. He was as useless as something on a bull. And it and he was running a traditional campaign that was that was losing, actively losing to Hillary Clinton, and and Bannon is the genius who came in and, and really he gets Trump. He is a counterculture guy. He's a he's an anti-establishment guy, and he he saved the campaign. So then what happened is Trump wins, and Bannon goes into the White House. As a senior advisor and basically pisses everybody off because Bannon, you know, for all his brilliance, he's not a guy that particularly plays well with others. And, you know, and 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 in the and so very quickly, he's he's out. And my general sense of the Bannon Trump relationship is that it is not it hasn't been good for some time. And this is really important because this is part of what matters to the story and matters to the narrative that the media is trying to play right now following Bannon's arrest. This whole build-the-wall uh, scam, uh, and, and I'm, I'm not even ready yet to call it fully a scam because now get into that after the break because I want to explain this indictment to you. I'll put my lawyer hat on and, and give you my take on it. But this build a wall foundation, I know that it really rankled Trump because in in you've got and you've got to understand this to him, uh, to Trump, this private effort led by a top former aide of his former architect of his success, somebody who. Uh, already, I think, stole some degree of, of spotlight from Trump, and Trump probably didn't like that as much. This was viewed as, uh, a, you know, a bit of an attention-grabbing effort uh, on on Bannon's part. And so while it had some support early on uh, from members of Trump's family and they had some fundraiser at Mar-a-Lago, I, I don't particularly think that there's much closeness between Uh, Trump and and Bannon currently, and certainly not once this whole uh, fundraising effort uh, started about a year and a half ago. Okay, don't go anywhere. I'm going to get into the indictment when we come back. Sam Rojofsky, Sam Nation, here on News Talk AM 840 KXNT. Ash, what about those insurance ads with catchy jingles?
1: And the lawyer commercials.
0: The jingles might get stuck in your head, but they're designed to do one thing, distract you.
1: Distract you from hiring the right professional team to represent you.
0: Choose reputation over stick.
1: Sam and I are real personal injury attorneys who focus on you and your recovery.
0: Call us anytime, 702-820-1234.
1: Or visit samandash.com.
0: Because you deserve what's right. Sam Burjofsky back behind the Sam Nation microphone here on News Talk AMA 40KXNT. Uh, you can always find this show, if you've missed any portion of it, on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn, uh, or um, I guess. Uh, just tune in every Sunday at ten. We're we're always here, uh, rain or shine. Uh, so Bannon, <laughs> Bannon is on a boat, yacht, really, on Thursday, uh, and he is he is with a Chinese billionaire who is a persona non grata in China, accused of fraud. And I'll explain this to you. Most countries like China. If they've got a political enemy, the first thing that they do is they accuse him of tax evasion, of fraud, corruption or anything like that. So you've, you've got to take the Chinese allegations against this guy with a grain of salt because he is absolutely a political enemy of Beijing. So Bannon uh, on, I guess, this past week was on a on his boat, on his yacht, and he's with him and I guess the day before coast guard planes or military planes uh equipped with some spy equipment start circling overhead uh, over the boat and uh and next thing you know the coast guard aided by the USPS inspectors right the postal inspectors show up to arrest Bannon <laughs> you I Oh, I have theories about why it was them. Uh, the the Southern District of New York who issued this indictment had to keep this thing under wraps from Trump, fearing that Trump was going to tip Bannon off. And I and do I don't know what. I don't think Bannon's the kind of guy that is going to flee the country and and, and I so it, the whole thing is just uh, it was a bizarre theater of of nonsense. So they they have to do it on the boat. They can't wait Right, they can't wait for Bannon to go back to his apartment in Washington D.C. and have the US Marshals pick him up there. No, they wait, they do it specifically when he's on a yacht because these prosecutors in the Southern District of New York, they are political animals. For them, this is all about the optics. Trust me, if they if they could have arrested Roger Stone on a yacht, they would have done it too. They love this kind of stuff. So I, oh, you, wait, you think the prosecutors don't think this way? No, 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 no. They even, I'll tell you, even local prosecutors, if they've got a, bat, they got a guy that they want, and they, they realize that there's a public perception uh, story they want to get out, the, the best thing is to arrest them when he's in the hot tub, with with the seven hookers, right? That's what you do. Okay, so this is, I guess, Bannon's equivalent of he's with the Chinese billionaire on a big boat and Americans are hurting, you know, coronavirus. This is big, bad, bo- you know, Bannon out on a boat. Okay, but let's get to the indictment itself. I've read it and it's damning because if any of this is true, it's a crime. It's plain and simple. Now, there's these guys, these three guys. Uh, Bannon was one of the, I guess, more behind-the-scenes architects. The, the main guy, his name is Brian Colfidge. And Colfidge is, yeah, he's a triple amputee. He received the Purple Heart. Uh, was, you know, by all, uh, I guess, uh, everybody thought he was a really good guy. And they start, together with two other guys, they start this, uh, this fundraising effort to, to uh, build the wall. On the southern border. And of course this is a hot button issue. And so it raised a lot of money. About $25 million. Of which. As best as I can tell. Looking through this indictment. Um, you know. Colfidge took about $350K from. For personal use. $350K. Out of $25 million. So. Again. It's a crime. It Doesn't matter if it's 10k. $10,000. 10, 350,000, a lot of money. And the the core of the problem is is that it's you've got wire fraud here, right? You've got your he's he's basically he because he promised he wouldn't transfer any money from the build a wall foundation. To himself, he ends up transferring money from the from the Build the Wall Foundation to a separate charitable organization that then paid him money directly. And that is fundamental concealment. And moreover, it seems to me that the U.S. Attorney's Office has evidence of all these guys talking amongst one another about what they're going to do. So they've got, you know, they've got a. I think they've got a decent amount of of evidence showing that there is intent to conceal funds and where funds are coming from. So all of this, I think, is a um, is is pretty damning. And I also one other note about this case is I think it could have been they could have added more counts. And so it is it is generally they haven't. It seems to me that the U.S. District of the Southern District of New York, the U.S. Attorney's Office, in Manhattan, did not necessarily overplay its hand. I think this is actually very detuned from what it could be, and that matters. Because, folks, let me tell you, that means that they're more likely to convict. If they've got more than enough evidence to support the charges, I think generally those cases are are slam dunks. My issue with this is not that... Bannon here and Colfidge and the other two defendants were charged with doing what they did. Uh, my issue is that th- this is $25 million of which they took 350 k Maybe more. That's just one. Maybe Bannon took some out of it, too, and whatnot. It's not really specific on all the numbers. But this is the same Southern District of New York that didn't charge the Clintons. I mean... <laughs> Can we just talk about this? The Clinton Family Foundation, do you know how much money they raised? Two and a half billion dollars. How much of that, you want to know how much of that went straight into the Clintons' pockets? How much money they paid for their daughter's wedding directly out of the foundation? The Clintons left the White House broke. Yeah, they did some speeches, and they'd get paid money for speeches. But and not only was it an abuse of a charitable organization, but it was a li- literally pay to play. Everybody knew and thought, look, Hillary Clinton was what Secretary of State, so yeah, let's give some money to the uh, family foundation that uh, that she and her husband are a part of. And then suddenly, lo and behold, these countries that gave big checks got favorable treatment from the Obama administration. And none of this was ever prosecuted. So the, the term of art here is selective prosecution. And going back to uh, the conversation we had earlier about the Chinese billionaire on whose yacht Steve Bannon was arrested. And I said to you, I said, look, hey, I don't pay much attention to these fraud charges against him in China because the the, the Chinese communists and they do this in Russia, too. You know, if a if a friend of Putin's turns against him, they come after him for tax evasion, for for fraud, for theft, whatever it is. But these are these are charges that. Uh, sure, the person's probably breaking whatever laws they have, but everybody's breaking the laws. But the political prosecutors in these countries go after the people that are enemies of the state. And we here in the US are now at that level. And the greatest irony to me in all of this is the yelling and screaming about, from the mainstream media, about Trump being Putin's puppet and being being a, a dictator and this and that when it is the tyranny of the left of these Trump derangement syndrome, you know, affected p- prosecute political people that are picking and choosing who goes to jail. I do not think anyone is above the law. And I I'm, I'm telling you, uh, and by the way. I I have to I have to laugh at another part of this whole thing, and that's the 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 whole arrest. A reason I brought all that up. Just think about it for a second. So Bannon is a guy who lives in D.C. I think he's got a townhome or an apartment in D.C. He's on this boat. He's gonna go back to D.C. Y- you can't wait to arrest him when he gets home. You have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayer money to deploy the U.S. Postal Inspector aboard a uh, I, a, you know, a, a Coast Guard cutter with spy planes overhead. You know how many people, how many dollars that was in, in gas alone over time? I don't know. I All for a photo op. All because Bannon is a Trumpa, Trump guy. and And this is just not the country that I want to live in. This is not the, this is not who we are. So I, I, I think the takeaway in all of this is uh, is, is you just got to look beyond the the four corners of of the page of the indictment because the, the indictment itself, uh, like I said, is 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 damning. But it's uh, but I I look at oh oh you want other examples Al Sharpton I'll tell you the story of how I ran into Al Sharpton it's classic. Don't go anywhere. Sam Rojovsky, Sam Nation here on News Talk AM 840 KXNT.
1: If you've been injured in an accident, you need the right team on your side.
0: Ashley is a former insurance defense attorney who knows the insurance industry's playbook.
1: And Sam is an experienced high-stakes negotiator for accident victims and their families.
0: At Sam & Ash, our sole focus is on you. Your recovery and getting you the best possible settlement in the least amount of time.
1: Call us day or night at 702-820-1234 or visit samandash.com.
0: Because you deserve what's right. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Sam Nation. Sam Rojofsky here, News Talk AM840KXNT. Yeah, so Al Sharpen. Well, we're talking about this this whole idea of prosecuting Bannon for taking, I guess, one of the guys, uh, the the head guy of this group, uh, Colfidge is his name, uh, took about 350 k for personal use out of a charity that collected $25 million dollars. And I'm I'm simply and he's getting charged by the Southern District of New York, which I, I don't think this charity ever ran out of the Southern District of New York. But the, the Southern District of New York is very political, it's very left wing. The acting U.S. attorney who filed this indictment uh, is a is a Democrat. You know, the last U.S. attorney just got removed by Trump for being a total political hack. And this is his deputy there. <laughs> look, and, and I fine prosecute by b- prosecute Bannon. But don't then be the group that doesn't prosecute the Clintons. Don't be the group that doesn't pr- pr- uh, prosecute Al Sharpton, who these are all, by the way, Clinton uh, Foundation was based in New York City. Seems perfectly appropriate to have had the Southern District of New York look into them. The same with Al Sharpton. I ran into, (laughs) I was telling you right before the break, I ran into Al Sharpton once. Uh, He was staying in a suite that was opposite mine at the Beverly Hills Four Seasons. Now, if Republican prosecutors were as vindictive as the Democrat ones, this is what they would do with Al Sharpton. They would find a time when he is in the company of his lady friends, in an ostentatious luxury hotel far from Harlem, from South Central L.A., from any poor neighborhood, African-American neighborhood. He doesn't stay there. He has an office somewhere in Harlem, but he does not. When he travels and he comes out to L.A., he, does, he doesn't stay at the, uh, at the Travel Lodge in South Central. This is a guy who goes straight for the corner suite at the Four Seasons. And I busted his A-Money Money. I caught him there. Uh, well, yeah, I'm staying there, but I'm a, I'm a successful lawyer and businessman. You know, big deal. I make my own money, and I don't have a charita- charitable foundation. Um, and I can't because, you know, I'm a, I'm a conservative, so I would probably end up in jail. Oh, <sighs> crazy stuff. So. I'm going to I'm going to share something with you here in the last uh, remaining minutes of the program, a little bit personal. So I, I I, we've made the decision to send our son, our oldest child, who is uh, he's uh, Daniel is 12 going on 13. And we've decided to to send him for the school year to the Czech Republic. Now, you're probably wondering what 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 the heck? <laughs> now, let me explain So, you know, I'm my my family is is from the Czech Republic. Uh, I wasn't born there. I was born here in the States, but I grew up speaking uh, Czech. I'm fluent in it. uh, And I spend a lot of time over there. We we have a home uh, outside of Prague and uh, and my kids, by virtue of of me being married uh, to a wonderful uh, uh, gal from Utah uh, who does not speak Czech. our, Our kids have grown up in a bilingual home, but but certainly favor English. And so there, there's this opportunity right now with COVID and schools being weird here, uh, to to send our our son and and stay with the family member and, and, and his family and and be be with you know be with our family in the Czech Republic, going to Czech school, learning the language fully and properly, having an experience, and also being in a country that still has cases. You know they've got the virus, but they're not. You know, they're they're not doing the mask thing. Uh, They're having in class education and they are uh, they're just I think he's going to have a far more normal, productive and happy school year uh, living abroad. But that said, I got to level with you as a as a father. uh, What a um, what a tremendous amount of of sadness I'm feeling right now where uh Daniel and I I'm going to take him uh because I I can get in with my passport uh, my my wife can't even go to the Czech Republic cuz they've they've got the borders closed to uh to to m- most countries uh, but especially the US so uh we're going to have to we're going to have to get tested and quarantine when we when we get there but hopefully just for a short period of time uh, and then I I'm going to get him set up and his first day of school will be September 1st and it's going to be it's going to be a really difficult thing having a 13 year old halfway across the world and and not home with me every night and i i'm i mean we're you know yeah sherry my wife is is brave and she's she's taking it well but i know i know it's it's certainly weighing on her as well but every time i start getting a little bit sad about it i think what a great experience this is going to be for him i mean imagine go back to when you were 12 go back to when you were 13 in my case my seventh grade year i can authoritatively say it was the worst freaking year of my life <laughs> just, you got i had a great elementary school i i showed up seventh grade and um and 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 it was terrible now, the, the worst part of the seventh grade, of course, is that you um, you have to go to P.E. And you got the locker room, which is just awful. And well, oh, and, but you know what? The best thing about covid is that there's no locker room. There's no seventh grade P.E. It's been canceled for my son's friends. So I guess that's the silver lining. But I'm going to tell you something funny, <laughs> you know, so his buddies have already started school. And on day one of the seventh grade, their Zoom class was hacked. This is this is what kids deal with in 2020 with someone. Um, it was terrible. Somebody hacked into the Zoom class and one there's two different hacks. One, they started yelling the N word. I mean, who, who does that? And then the other class, uh, somebody began des- describing um, parts of the of the of the anatomy in very graphic terms. Uh, so the teachers were forced to end classes and now the school is figuring out how they how that happened. And I I so I guess hearing what's going on in the seventh grade for his other friends, I, I'm telling Daniel he's he's he, this is going to be OK. So he's going to be in a classroom and he's he's staying in a in a beautiful town that is on the western side of the Czech Republic. Any of you who visited Prague, you know, it's a beautiful city, but. The country is beautiful even outside of Prague. And, and there's a town called Carlo Ivari where uh, he will be. And and this is... I, I, if you've seen Casino Royale, the James Bond movie, it's filmed all on location there in that town. Uh, most of it, right? The main thrust of the story is there. And, and so you, you'll remember it's just from the movie. It's beautiful. And it really does look like that. So... Um The next two weeks, if i barring technical difficulties, uh, I will do the show from uh from Europe from the czech republic so i I will share with you uh what what 's going on and how it 's going uh next week and the week after so well wish me luck uh, as I carry my computer equipment uh and and show equipment across and get it all set up and hopefully i i i this time I have an internet connection, not like in Alaska all right. It's always great to be here with uh, you all. I, I'm, I'm hoping that by the time I get back, uh, Vegas will be a little more open. That the people on the Strip that are on the Strip right now are a little less weird. I think these $35 a night hotel rooms midweek are bringing in a very different crowd if you live here in Las Vegas. Have you been to the Strip lately? <laughs> it's crazy. Last week... Uh, somebody got uh, somebody got knifed at uh, the Venetian. Normally, you'd say someone got knifed at Circus Circus, but no. Uh, this time, it was uh, the Venetian, which is of course a very nice hotel. So, uh, be careful out there. I think I think it's starting to right itself. I just I have because I'm optimistic, and I'm not going to talk our city down. All right, have a wonderful rest of your weekend, and God bless you all. Sam Rzavsky, Sam Nation here on News Talk AM 40 KXNT.